Thanks, Rich. Right, um, good afternoon, church. It's so good to be with you today. Right, um, we're going to be continuing our Sit at His Feet series, and today uh, we'll be considering another aspect of a portrait of Jesus Christ, which I've titled Jesus the Great High Priest. So what we're going to be doing, um, we're going to be touching base on the priestly activities in the Old Testament as a foundation then, you know, to add a bit of a context to my message, and then we'll focus on the greatness of Jesus' high priesthood. So, if you have a Bible, I will encourage you to open your Bible to the book of Hebrews 4, 14 to 16. And if you don't have a Bible, or you're watching from home, um, just look at the screen behind me, the words will be displayed right there. And I'm going to be asking Yasmin, if you don't mind, to come upstairs, I mean, to come up stage and, you know, read the passage. So let's make Yasmin feel very welcome. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to feel sympathy for our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Amen. Let's, let, let us pray. Lord, we thank you for this day. This is the day that you have made. We will rejoice in it and we will be glad, O oh God. Lord, I pray that the entrance of your word will give life and light. And it will give understanding. I pray that you will speak through my voice. You speak through my mind. And you will speak to your people today. Pray that it's going to be less of me and more of you. And your name alone, O oh God, will be glorified. In Jesus' name I pray. And the people of God said, Amen. Amen. Praise God. Hallelujah. Right, um, the concept of um, a high priest may mean very little to us. And this is because we live in a different time and a different culture. But for the early Christians who came from um, the Jewish background, the idea of a high priest was very key to them, very important to them. And this is because they understood that in some way they are connected to God through the high priest. And, they, uh, and that they couldn't just you know, come to God on their own terms or their own righteousness or their own initiative. And in the Old Testament, we see how God called the service of his people into a priestly role. People like Abraham and um, Aaron, the brother of, of Moses, and people from the tribe of um, Levi, uh, they were all called to um, a priestly role. And they stood as a bridge between the people and God. And here is an example of a priestly activity in Genesis 18. It says that God goes down to judge Sodom and Gomorrah because of the terrible things that they've done. And interestingly, Abraham 
is being invited into a priestly activity to stand in the gap for the people and to stand in the gap on behalf of the people and before the God Almighty. And the Bible says in verse 22 that Abraham remained standing before the Lord. You know, just like the series that we're, um, we're um, examining, uh, sitting at his feet. Abraham remained standing before the Lord. And in verse 23, it says that Abraham approached the Lord and said, Will you sweep away the righteous with the wicked? And we see Abraham negotiating, you know, standing in the gap for the people. Will you sweep the righteous with the wicked? And what if you see 50 righteous people? What if you see 45, 40, 30 to 20 and to 10? What if you see 10 righteous people in the city? But ultimately, we, uh, we, we know the story that Sodom and Gomorrah was destroyed. But the point here is Abraham was given the opportunity to assume, to assume the priestly role. And he discovers something about God that God actually values the righteousness of a few. So much so that it can cover the unrighteousness of many. And if we fast forward to the time of Aaron and the Levitical priesthood, we see a more structured and a well-organized priestly activities where they make sacrifices for the sins of the people. And what they do is that they sacrifice a lamb, which is symbolically, you know, placing the sin of the people on the lamb. And this is because the problem with sin is so significant that it requires a sacrifice. And so all through the Old Testament, we, we see the priests representing the people of God and representing God. They stand as a mediator between God and man. And they make sacrifices for the sin of the people. But there is still a limitation with this priestly system in that it could never ever satisfy God's anger and God's judgment. And as a result, this priest will have to repeat the sacrifice on a yearly basis. Making the sacrifice and making atonement on a yearly basis for their own sins because they are with sin. And they will make the same sacrifice for the sin of the people because of the people. Now, um, if we look at our passage where, um, um, in Hebrews, now the Hebrews writers is telling us about the priesthood of Jesus and it says in verse 14, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. And first, it is important that for us to understand that the writer of Hebrew is speaking to Christians who are being tempted to give up their faith. And this is because of the difficulties that they face following Jesus. They are faced with economic hardship. They were socially excluded. They are losing their properties. They are under a significant pressure to give up their faith and to give up on God. And the Hebrews writer is encouraging these Christians to stay on course. He's encouraging them to hold firm to the faith they profess. And of course, today we are also faced with pressures of, of, of a different kind in the world we are today for following Jesus. We face pressure at work, uh, in our community, in the society. 
we face the temptation to give up on God and to give up our faith. And so it is important for us to understand what the writer is saying. He's reminding them, as he's reminding us today, about how great Jesus' priesthood is. And as we read before, therefore, since we have a great high priest. So what makes Jesus the great high priest? Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the son of God. Jesus is the son of God. He is the one that was with God from the beginning. Jesus is the Alpha and the, is the Omega. Is the first and is the last. Is the beginning and is the end. Jesus is a great high priest because he is the Son of a living God. Praise God! And in Matthew sixteen thirteen to sixteen, Jesus asked his disciples, "What do people say the Son of Man is?" And they answered, some said that you are the Elijah, you are Jeremiah, and some said that you are one of the prophets. And Jesus looked at them and said, what about you? What do you think? Or what do you think the Son of Man is? And Simon Peter answered and said, you are the Christ. You are the Messiah, the Son of a living God. And Jesus looked at Peter and said, flesh has not revealed this to you. Jesus is the son of the living God that became the son of man so that the sons of men can become the sons of the living God. Praise God. He is the son that became the son of man through incarnation. He he is the God-man born in the manger and lived a life as human. Hebrews 2, 17 says that the son of became like us in every aspect so that he might become a merciful and a faithful high priest. That's interesting. So that he might become a merciful, not a judgmental high priest, but to become a merciful and a faithful high priest. And that is the reason for Jesus, the son of God, becoming the son of man, just to be like us. Praise God. I read, I read in the book that to become a top interpreter for the Chinese embassy, it is not enough for you to just speak both Chinese and English. You have to be both Chinese and English. And this is by you having brought up in a bilingual household or a, a bilingual uh, uh, background. And this is exactly the same about Jesus being both God and man. And in his greatness as the son of God, it became the son of man and offered himself as the sacrifice on our behalf. And isn't that in contrast to uh, how the world would define greatness? And I suppose the most, the most common way the world would define greatness would be through accomplishments and you know, through powers. And if we go back into the ancient history and Think about Alexander the Great, who conquered the whole world, well, the known world by the time, and then wept that there were no more worlds to be conquered. Or you think about Muhammad Ali, who was nicknamed the greatest and was ranked as the greatest heavyweight boxer of all time. 
But this is what Jesus says about greatness. It says in Mark 10 that whoever wishes to become great among you shall be your servant. And whoever wishes to be first among you shall be slave of all. And that's exactly what Jesus did. The son of God, great son of God, becoming the son of man. And no one could possibly be a mediator between a holy God and a sinful man. No one. 1 Timothy 2 says, For there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind. The man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all people. Jesus knows what it's like to be human. And the same way he knows what it's like to be divine. And that makes him a perfect mediator to represent both God and man. Jesus can identify with God because he is God. And on the other hand, he can identify with man because he is man. But the question is, can you identify with him? Can you identify yourself with Jesus? I remember um, how, I sep- how separated I was from God as a teenager. And it was like God and I were on the two parallel ways. And one night after clubbing, I was walking back home, lonely, feeling, you know, uh, so empty and helpless. And all sort of questions, you know, going through my head. And it was perhaps one of the longest walks of, of my life back home. I was so terrified, and at a point, I felt the need of a savior. And of course, on the other hand, my dad was anxiously waiting for me to get back home. Thankfully, I got back home, and um, my dad sat me down and signposted me to church where I met with young people who said to me that Jesus loves you. And I said, wait, hang on. How could Jesus love a sinful man like me. And of course, these guys, you know, came together and they prayed for me and I felt the unspeakable joy of the Holy Spirit. Right there, it was so tangible and so real. And right there, I gave my life to Jesus. Right there, I identified myself with Jesus. So have you identified yourself with Jesus? So, Jesus is the Son of God. And he is the son of man, and that makes him a perfect mediator. And then in verse 15, it says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to feel sympathy for our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are. Jesus tempted in every way, just as we are. He is the sympathetic high priest who understands our weaknesses, and who has been tempted just as we are. And sympathy means that it gets under our pain, under our hearts, and under our gifts. And he he understands where we are. He understands you, and he feels exactly what you are feeling. My son Joshua, (laughs) um, my, my son Joshua and I were at the park a couple of months ago and 
As Josh was skating, he fell from the skateboard and hurt his leg. I felt so sorry for Joshua, and I even tried to, to comfort him. But unless I get on that skateboard and do exactly the same thing and hurt my leg, I won't be able to fully understand how he feels. And I won't be able to sympathize with his feeling. And actually, it will be a silly thing for me to, to get on the skateboard and fall exactly the same way so that I could hurt my leg and say to Joshua, see, I've hurt my leg as well. So I know exactly how you feel. Now I can share your pain. No, I'm not going to do that. But that's exactly what Jesus did. That is exactly what Jesus did. Have you been bruised or have you been, have you been in pain? Jesus would tell you that I've been there too. I've been there too. I was bruised too. I was rejected and despised by mankind. I was afflicted, crushed, and wounded. He knows exactly how you feel. And he doesn't just feel what you're feeling, but be rest assured that he's also experiencing what you're going through with you. He understands our weaknesses and he's been tempted just as we are. And of course, Jesus' temptation was, was genuine. Having fasted for 40 days and 40 nights in the wilderness, the devil came. And tempted him. He tempted Jesus with, in every aspect. With the lust of the flesh. With the lust of the eyes. With the pride of life. He tempted Jesus in every aspect. So he understand what it means. To be tempted. And he knows what it means to be vulnerable as well. And on the cross. Jesus shares the same way that we feel alone. We feel so lost. In our darkness and our lostness, Jesus on the cross said, The Father, why have you forsaken me? Why? So he knows what it means to be forsaken. Jesus knows what it means to be cut off. Jesus was killed. He knows what it means to be killed. He knows what it means to be killed. And he can identify with your suffering. Tell me whatever you're going through. Jesus will say, I've been there too. Your temptation, he can identify the way you are being tempted because he was tempted. He is the compassionate and sympathetic high priest who doesn't just feel what you feel, but also he gets involved. He gets involved. And he knows every detail of your life. It will call you by your name. It knows you by your name. When you wake up, it's there with you. When you're going to bed, it's there with you. Whatever, you are, whatever is going through your thought process, it knows. And it feels you. It feels your, your, your weakness, your, your temptation. And it's going through that same experience with you. Praise God. So Jesus is the great high priest because... He is the son of God and he is the son of man. He is sympathetic. He understands our weaknesses and he has been tempted. And back to our text in verse 15, the latter part of verse 15 says that tempted in every way just as we are, yet he did not sin. Yet 
he did not sin. And that makes Jesus the sinless high priest. Jesus is our sinless high priest who is uniquely qualified to offer up himself as the sacrifice because he was without sin. And his self-sacrifice was the greatest act of love that could ever be displayed. In Hebrews 7.26, I love this. It was fitting for us to have such a high priest, holy, innocent, undefiled, separated from sinners and exalted above the heavens. And in John's gospel, Jesus confronted the religious leaders with this question, which one of you convicts me of sin? And if I speak the truth, why do you not believe me? No one responded. And do you know why? Because they couldn't find any evidence that he was a sinner. That's Jesus, the great high priest, without sin. Praise God. He was made like us in every way except for sin. And we have nothing we could possibly offer Jesus except our broken selves. We didn't deserve his life. We, we, we actually deserve death. Death in the form of eternal separation from God. But thanks be to Jesus, our great high priest, who has done everything necessarily possible to save us from our sin. We couldn't end salvation. We don't even deserve salvation, but we now have salvation in the name of Jesus. His sinlessness has become our salvation. And when you receive him, you believe in him, then his righteousness becomes your righteousness. Praise God. His righteousness becomes your righteousness. And you enter into a solidarity with Jesus Christ. And you enter into a relationship with him. And when you go into a relationship with Jesus, he becomes your high priest. Hallelujah. And here is the gospel. Here is the gospel in 1 John chapter 2. One to two. It says, but if anyone does sin, we have an advocate, praise God, with the Father Jesus Christ, the righteous. We have the great high priest who speaks to the Father in our defense. And the basis of, of his case comes from his sacrifice. He goes to the Father with your case and presents your case before the Lord because of his own sacrifice. And he sacrificed himself on the cross by which our sins were covered. God is eager to forgive. And you know what Jesus has done? He has put God's generosity within reach for us. That's the gospel. Jesus is the great high priest because he is the son of God. He is the son of man. He completely understands our weaknesses and our temptation, yet without sin. And this makes him the perfect eternal sacrifice to atone for our sin. And so what does all this mean to you? What does it mean to me and what does it mean to everyone who has received Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior? And what does it mean to those that are watching online? What does it mean 
it means that we can now approach the throne of God. Praise God. Verse 16 says that let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Jesus' high priesthood represents open access between God and humanity. He escorts us to God. And you know what? Jesus ripped away the veil that had prevented our free access to to his presence. He ripped the veil from top to bottom for you to have a free access to the Father. What an amazing grace. The song says, amazing grace, how sweet are you, God, that a sinful man can now access the throne of a holy God. And if you consider the holiness of God, Isaiah gave a glimpse of of God's holiness in Isaiah 6 when he was faced with an awesome vision of God seated on the throne. He cried. Isaiah saw God's throne and he cried, Woe to me, because I'm undone. Woe to me, because I'm, I'm, I'm ruined before the throne of God. And that is exactly the same throne that has become the throne of grace. And that is exactly the same throne that Jesus is inviting you to approach with confidence. What an amazing grace. And if you are in Christ, you feel so unworthy to approach the throne. Always remember, he has ripped the veil from top to bottom. There is no more barriers, no more blockage, no more obstacle. You have free access, no more traffic on the way. Praise God. He ripped the veil from top to bottom. Now you can access the throne. And if you feel so unworthy, you feel that that's not for you, or you're thinking that uh, maybe it's for others and not for you just because you feel unworthy, stop. That's not the gospel. Stop thinking that way. And what is so staggering about about the gospel is that even a sinner can now approach the throne. You can approach the throne with confidence. Not apologetically or cowering. You can approach the throne with confidence. And here is what Dan Otland said in his book, Deeper. says you don't have to go through security to get to Jesus. You don't have to get in line to to take a ticket. No wavering for his attention. No raising your voice to make sure he hears you. In your smallness, he notices you. In your sinfulness, he draws near to you. In your anguish, is in solidarity with you. What we must see is not only that Jesus is gentle towards you, but he is positively drawn toward you when you are most sure that he doesn't want to be. What an amazing grace. 
Jesus is positively, not negatively, is positively drawn towards you when you are most sure it doesn't want to be. And that is the glorious truth. But actually, we, 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 we don't really believe it. We, we feel so unworthy. We set up a barrier, just like um, Ellie said in, in the first meeting. We set up a barrier. We set up a blockage for ourselves. And we feel so ashamed. And if you ever be in any doubt, that is not the gospel. That's not from God. What God has done is to give us a great invitation to approach the throne of grace. And so Jesus has joined us in our humanity. And now he's inviting you and I to join him at the throne of grace. For you to receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. What a great high priest. And what a great invitation. Amen. Amen. Elizabeth, over to you. Thank <laughs> you.